Paxton Quigley is rolling out the green carpet, talking to the creme de la creme of innovators and influencers who are shaping the world of cannabis and culture. Welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Uh, a couple of days ago was 420, and uh, we're still celebrating here on the show, and we're, we're enjoying ourselves, that's for sure. And today we do have a special guest uh, who will, shall we say, satisfy your sweet tooth, uh, <laughs> as well as inspire you with, with her story. She has a really interesting story. Um, I'm going to introduce her. Her name is Nancy Whiteman. She is the founder and CEO of the successful edibles company called Wana Brands, and that's spelled W-A-N-A. And it was established in 2010, and it's still going strong today. Wana's famous gummies are known for their, at least that's what they say, for their consistency and potency, making the Colorado-based Wana Brands the number one edibles producers in the, shall we say, in the United States? I guess so. Nancy Whiteman, welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Now, uh, there's so many questions that, I, that I'd like to ask you. What were you doing before you were doing cannabis? Because I read that you had a whole different kind of business. So how did you go from that business into cannabis business? Yes. So um, I have sort of a little joke on this that I frequently say when people ask me this, which is that I need a better backstory. Um, but I'll just tell you the real story, which is interesting enough, I suppose, on its own. But I have a rather traditional background. Um, I have an MBA. I worked in corporate America for many years. I was the VP of marketing for a um, large uh, financial services company uh, back east. And um, I had moved to Colorado in, let's see, when, how old is my oldest? In uh, 1995. And um, I was uh, actually working in the dot-com space. Uh, I had a sales and marketing consultancy. And uh, actually what ended up happening is I was having a conversation with a neighbor whose daughter was friends with, with one of my children. And uh, I was just asking him what he had been up to. And he mentioned that he had started an infused products company. And although I was no stranger to cannabis, I actually was new to the world of legal cannabis. And so I said, rather ignorantly, infused with what? I wasn't even sure what he was referring to. That's a good um, idea. <laughs> um, but he explained that it was infused with marijuana, which is how we referred to cannabis in 2010. Um, and long story short, my co-founder and I ended up uh, building out a kitchen with him. And it turned out to be a relatively short-term partnership. But I'm very grateful because he got us started in the business and we grew very uh, organically from there. Uh, we are the sort of classic bootstrapped cannabis entrepreneur story. Um, st really started out with the two of us and uh, grew the company to where it is today. We are, in fact, the number one edibles brand in North America, and which probably means the world because there are no other large cannabis markets except for North America, legal cannabis markets, I should say. And uh, I would 
dare say the galaxy, unless there's other planets where there are also cannabis markets. <laughs> are you so, on Mars yet? Are you on Mars? <laughs> we are not on Mars. It is on our uh, expansion plan, but we're not there yet. Good. <laughs> now, I under uh, some THC. How did you be able to make all of this? I mean, since... It, I don't think you were a baker, were you? <laughs> I was not a baker, nor was I a confectionery person. Let, let me clarify something. We do have uh, a couple of, uh, we have many different kinds of, of products. The distinction though, is not sugar versus non-sugar. Um, all of our products do have sugar in them. Um, but I think what you might be referring to is a recent evolution in our gummy recipe where we replaced the high fructose corn syrup with tapioca syrup. Uh, and it still does have also organic uh, uh, cane sugar in it. Um, but the thing to note about gummies, and then I'll get to your, your question of, of how we figured out how to do this, is that um, they're actually, despite the fact that they have uh, uh, sugar in them and tapioca syrup in them, they're actually a very low sugar alternative. They only, our gummies only have uh, two grams of sugar per gummy. And even for people who are on a low sugar and low carb diet, that's pretty doable for, for almost everybody. Um, so it's not sugar versus non-sugar, but there are other distinctions that we can talk about in a minute. But to get to your question about how did we figure out how to do this, you know, this was almost 11 years ago now that we started the company. And it was a time of a lot of experimentation. And so uh, a lot of the first year was really just spent with developing different products and at that point in time, there were no analytics companies, there was no BDSA, there was no headset, there was no Brightfield Group. So our market research, if you can call it that, was just develop products, put them out in the marketplace and see what people liked. Um, and so we had a lot of different products, most of which are no longer on the market. We had um, infused nuts, we had uh, baked goods, we had we even had infused beef jerky for a short period of time. How, how, um, how did that sell? How did that sell? You know, there's this, this great expression that you may have heard that, you know, those people who love sausage and respect the law should never watch either one of them being made. <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would have, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask, add beef jerky to that list of things that, that I never want to see having made again. We actually were using sort of a, a high quality beef, but we were grinding the beef so that we could infuse it. Did it taste um, yucky? Did it taste yucky? No, it actually tasted good. But what we learned is that there's a whole other set of regulations um, that need to be followed for meat products. And we realized that this was not our sweet spot, no pun intended there. And we actually ended up um, just discontinuing it. But it was actually a decent seller. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to be in the gummy market now, <laughs> not in the, the beef jerky market. So the gummies were um, fairly soon into the flight. Um, what we realized is that the, there, at the time there was another company in Colorado that had a rather different model than the one that we adopted. They were buying um, gummies, pre-made gummies off the shelf and spraying them with a hash oil. And um, I felt that we could do much better. Making How do they taste? Did they taste? Did they taste differently than uh, your product? Well, yes, because the hash oil is sitting on top of the product. 
Um, and so ours is infused during the cooking process. So it's, first of all, there's a lot more homogeneity. You can cut one of our gummies in quarters or tenths or however you want to cut them. And every, every piece of the gummy is going to have an equal amount of THC in it. Um, that kind of precision is a little bit more difficult when you're spraying on top. And then, of course, we can do a lot more to, to uh, address the flavor and the, the taste of, of the, um, the THC and the oil itself by actually creating an infused product. So it was a lot of trial and error. One of the things that we wanted to do right from the beginning was to come up with a product that was both vegan and gluten-free. So uh, we didn't want any animal products in our, in our gummies. And so we, right from the start, used a pectin formulation versus gelatin. Gelatin is made out of uh, animal now, did you, have, did you have chemists around to tell you what to do or it was just like trial by error? You know, it really, at the very beginning, it was more trial by error. But when gummies are actually an interesting and deceptively complicated product to make, it's not anybody can make a gummy, but making a gummy that scales, uh, that you can produce in, in large quantities, making a gummy that doesn't get sticky, making a gummy that doesn't melt in the middle of the summer. These are all things that actually require a fair amount of skill. And so we did end up using a food consultant and then actually an outside consultant who took our original recipe and helped us get it to a point where we could scale it. And it's extremely shelf stable. It doesn't melt even in, you can leave it in your car in a hundred degree weather for six hours and it's not going to melt. Uh, a gelatin gummy will basically be goo at that point in time. So uh, the original work was done in house. And then we, yes, we did use outside experts to help us refine it. And how long of a time did that take you to, to finally get the, the, the product that you liked that was good? I mean, did it take you a year to do this or six months? You know, the initial product development work, um, we did it ourselves probably in a couple of months. Then working with the outside consultants took probably another six months or so. But I think one of the things that distinguishes Juana as a company and certainly our gummies is that we're always in a state of continuous improvement with it. So, you know, from our original formulation, uh, we then... Uh, found uh, all natural organic uh, flavorings and food colorings that were made from, from natural um, sources. Um, we switched, as I was talking about earlier, from um, high fructose corn syrup to tapioca syrup. Um, we just recently moved to all organic ingredients. We moved from our original packaging to sustainable biodegradable packaging. So the, to answer your question, we're always in a state of trying to improve and make better. Now, where can people uh, buy your products? Do Let's say uh, I'm in, in Miami right now. Could I go online and order online? Or would there be a problem in terms of, of shipping it here? Yes. Uh, well, what happens with, with all with of the different, <laughs> all the different laws from all of the different states. Yeah. What what do people do? I mean, I I want I want some of your gummies. Well, you're that. in luck because we sell our products in um, Florida, but oh, they are sold in dispensaries. 
Um, so uh, you would either have to have a medical card or uh, actually that's your only choice. You'd have to have a medical card to buy them legally. Um, but as you know, cannabis, of course, is federally illegal. Um, and so we have to go state by state. And we are currently in 11 states plus Canada. So we're in 12 markets, soon to be 13. We're launching in Massachusetts shortly. Um, and what has to happen in each of those situations is that uh, anybody who wants to buy the product has to go to a legal dispensary and purchase it. Or uh, in California, for example, you can order through a delivery service. Um, but that the, there is no way to go online and order them at this point in time. And when do you think that will happen? Uh, if you if, you know look into your crystal ball, yeah. When, when do you think uh, uh, the laws will 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 really change so that well, we'll have in most yeah. states? I don't know about Idaho. Idaho, I don't know if they'll if they'll go for it. But uh, um, how long so, do you think it's take yeah, so, this so, all to, to happen? Yeah, the, um, you know, this was a rather momentous couple of weeks in, in cannabis. So we had um, both New Jersey and New Mexico just signed their legalization bills and Virginia just moved up their time frame on their legalization bills. And I was just reading an interesting statistic yesterday that now I think 40% of the population lives in a state where any adult over the age of 21 can legally purchase uh, cannabis in a legally licensed dispensary. And of course, many more states are legal for medical. I think we're up to 33 or something along those lines. It's, it's very sizable. So the, the issue, and, and of course, we're now seeing even states that I would have told you are, we're never going to offer cannabis, not yet Idaho. So you're right on Idaho, but, you know, um, very um, states that I wouldn't associate with being pro-cannabis, such as um, Mississippi and, um, you know, Alabama, they're all looking at uh, their programs. So the question is, is probably less uh, at the state level, because the states are all starting to, uh, with a few exceptions, they're all starting to look very seriously at it, or they've already taken action on it. The question is, when is it going to become federally legal? And um, my crystal ball is a, is a scooch murky on that one. But, you know, what I can tell you from what, you know, we're hearing, of, of course, this is, is widely uh, publicized already, but um, Chuck Schumer, the Senator from New York, who's who's leading the federal legalization initiatives, has announced that he plans on introducing uh, a full legalization bill with or without President Biden's support shortly. So, of course, introducing a bill doesn't mean it's going to make it through Congress, but um, it's, uh, you know, I think that the chances right now are actually pretty good for a couple of reasons. First of all, of course, right now, the Democrats have control of, of both the, the House and the Senate. But even beyond that, many of those uh, states that I mentioned, the 17 states where it's fully federally legal for all adults, not just medical, but adult use, um, many of those are red states. Uh, so we have senators who actually are in states that have successful programs running. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly what the timeframe is gonna look like on this, but I would say that, you know, the chances are good that we're going to see some activity shortly.
Good. Now, here's a kind of a touchy uh, question I'd like to ask you. What about kids? Uh, I, I assume they can't go in and get it in, in the gummies in a in a store. But what about if they've you know have them at home and uh, uh, mama's is is out and all of a sudden they're eating a lot of gummies and getting really high? Um, have you been able to to deal with that situation? Well, yeah, a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, I would say that the real risk that people run uh, with children getting into edibles, and of course, no, they're not allowed to go into dispensaries. You need to be 21 or older, uh, unless it's a medical dispensary, and then you have to be 18 or older. Um, but um, the real the real risk for children, of course, is not legally made edibles. It's people making them at home and not dosing them properly and also not storing them properly. All of our products come in child-resistant packaging. So um, yes, could a teenager figure out how to open a child-resistant package? Of course they could. Um, however, like all other dangerous things that we have in our homes, including alcohol and guns and even for young children, things like, you know, household bleach and Tide Pods and things like that. At the end of the day, it's up to parents to secure things that are dangerous and to keep them out of the reach of children. And cannabis is no different than that. Now, what is it like to be a woman in the cannabis business? I know that there are not many women who um, have manufacturing companies or anything like that. I think there's some women who who may be, you know, in the business of, of a dispensary. What's it like uh, being first of all, a big shot woman, um, but how is it out there for women in terms of getting into, into uh, the cannabis business? Well, I would greatly encourage any woman who's interested in cannabis to, um, to investigate uh, getting into the business and I encourage them to do so. Um, I, I would make this comment. So when I first got into cannabis and this is now, almost 11 years ago, um, there were in Colorado, because we started in Colorado, there were a lot of women in the uh, cannabis side of things, um, including manufacturing and edibles, which is our category. Um, what I have noticed, um, and it's not just me noticing it, the, the data bears it out, is that um, Colorado at that point in time was a little bit of an anomaly in that um, it was a, what we call an unlimited license market. So there was not a hard cap put on the number of licenses that could be issued. There's other constraints such as, you know, you can't have, you know, municipalities have their own choice and how far away things can be from each other. But what the reason that I'm raising this is that unlimited license markets have a much lower barrier to entry than limited license markets, such as the East Coast markets, um, where, you know, sometimes you'll even see things, you know, capped at, you know, there's only going to be 15 or 20 or 30 dispensaries in the entire state. When you start getting into that dynamic, the process of getting a license itself is very challenging. Um, many times you have to uh, be able to show that you have half a million dollars or more in the bank. Um, you need to 
hire people to help you write licenses and et cetera. So what ends up happening as markets shift from unlimited license models to limited license models is that access to capital becomes very important. And so what I think we've seen in the past several years is that cannabis has started to mirror other industries where people who have access to capital have an advantage. And that puts historically, and this is not my opinion, this is well-documented, it puts both women and people of color at a disadvantage uh, in terms of being able to raise capital. So for me personally, what it's like to be a woman in cannabis, um, I had some advantages, both in terms of the state that I started in and also in terms of the level of competitiveness of the industry when I started. So it was very possible for me to bootstrap a business with my co-founder in a way that I think would be much more difficult today. Now, in terms of what it's like to be a woman in cannabis, um, you know, I think it's similar to what it's like to be a woman in any industry, you know. Uh, it's difficult. <laughs> it can be, can be difficult, yes. It, it can have its challenges. Um, I think that cannabis, uh, more so than, than most other industries that I've ever experienced, is extraordinarily re- relationship-focused, Um Uh, It's a a small, tight-knit community getting larger every day because obviously this is turning into big business. But um, it is very important to work on networking, to be out there, to be doing things like this podcast, to make yourself known um, and to build your reputation and uh, and become known as somebody who people want to do business with. And I think that um, if you can do those things successfully, um, th- that you are, are um, going a long way towards whether you're a man or a woman to being successful in the industry. Uh, but I do think that women need to be aware of that and they need to work on it a little bit harder. Um, I know that I used to get a little bit, um, oh gosh, you know, I would sort of be both flattered and and maybe also a little put off by, you know, being named a top woman in cannabis because I felt like I really wanted to be recognized for just being a top CEO, period, regardless of my gender. But I've really, I've come to change my opinion on that. And, And the reason why is that I've had so many women and especially young women or and, and older women too, because they can relate to me uh, more in some ways, um, who find it very meaningful to see a woman in a successful role. And it gives them the feeling of confidence that, oh, if she can do it, I can do it as well. So I'm, I'm happy to the extent that I'm able to be a role model for, for other women who want to get into the business. And have you mentored any women uh, so that they could get started? Do you give advice? Yeah, I always try to do that. Um, I I try to do that with women. Um, I've had the opportunity a couple of times in the last couple of weeks to um, provide some mentorship to uh, different organizations that are working with with, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, people of color who want to get into cannabis. Um, I am a huge believer in sharing knowledge and, um, and helping other people. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I did recently, for example, is I would, I, you know, people do reach out to me with some regularity asking if I could mentor them. 
and or if I could talk with them about getting going in the edibles industry, women in particular. And unfortunately, my time doesn't really allow me to spend time with you know, a large number of people. So what I did do is I, I sort of wrote up a kind of a little two-pager on here are some of the key issues that you need to be thinking about uh, if you're thinking about getting into the edible sector of the business. And I just share that freely with people um, because it's a lot of the same things that I would say if we were talking on the phone. So I look for ways to sort of leverage my time so that I can be helpful to as many people as possible. Would you mind sharing those two key issues with our, our listeners? I know we have a lot of uh, uh, women listeners out there, and I think if you can do it, that would be wonderful. Yeah, I might have misspoke myself. It's not two key issues. It was a t- sort of a two-page document that ah. has a whole range of issues on it. Okay. And um, I, I, I'm happy to kind of give you a quick overview on that, if that would be useful. Yes. Um, you know, the, you know, I start with really encouraging people to start with the regulations. You absolutely have to deeply understand the ins and outs of the regulations in your market um, to even understand what's feasible, what's allowed, what's legal for you to make and at what dosage, right? Um, so there's, there's just a lot of regulatory stuff uh, that people need to uh, be thinking about and addressing. Um, uh, also, I think, um, really, really understanding your cost models are, is imperative. Uh, and I, I see uh, people often making the mistake of they will try to figure out their cost of goods sold uh, and their labor costs and things like that. Um, but they forget about all the other stuff. They forget about the marketing costs and they forget about what they're going to need to do to get on the shelves and dispensaries. And they're going to need to figure out how to pay themselves, uh, what their, what are their carrying costs going to be before they actually have a viable business? How are they going to support themselves when they're doing that? Um, there's a lot in there about analyzing your competition and understanding what the market uh, needs. Uh, what, what does it already have? And how are you going to be different or better than what's already out there? Um, there's information on there about how to analyze pricing. So there's a whole range of, of uh, advice that I give people. That's who are wonderful because I, I'm sure a lot of people don't think of all the things that you just talked about. And, and I think that's a, a terrific uh, thing that you're doing for women. I wish we could spend more time with you. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed the conversation and I think a lot of our listeners will, will learn about uh, the cannabis business in in general. Uh, Can you give us your your website, please, so people can uh, uh, go to to it? Sure, it's www.wannabrands.com. Only one N in Wanna. People always (laughs) want to put two in, but there's only one. One N, okay. (laughs) Well, you know, thank you for talking with us on on High Society with Paxton Quigley. And when you have some new products coming out, we'd love to have you back on so we can can discuss what's your next thing you're going to be doing. And I well, we have 21 new products coming out. In the oh, 21. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, what's one of your special ones? Can you give us a little hint? Yes, of course I can. Um, what, some of it is an extension of a hugely successful product launch that we did last year, which was our Wana Quick products. 
Um, when you started out saying you have two types of products, sugared and non-sugared, I thought you were actually going here. We have the, the big division that we make are sort of classic edibles, which are, um, you know, um, they typically kick in in about 60 minutes um, and they uh, go through a process called um, uh, first pass metabolism, which is uh, the, the, the THC is metabolized through the liver and it actually converts to another form called 11-hydroxy. And 11-hydroxy is what's responsible for that very sort of heavy uh, body-centered edibles high. Um, whereas smoking and inhalation is, is uh, another form called Delta-9, and it's a lighter, more cerebral, uh, shorter lasting. And so our classic gummies uh, give you the 11-hydroxy experience. Our wanna quick gummies kick in in about 5 to 15 minutes, so they're very fast onset. And they give you the Delta-9 experience, which is more similar to a... Um, a, a, a inhalation type experience rather than an edibles experience, two very different markets for that. It also has a quicker offset. So we themed them all around happy hour uh, flavors to communicate that, um, you know, it's a quick onset, quick offset, similar to having a drink with friends. Um, and so a bunch of our new products are building on that product line. We have uh, four new flavors and uh, ratios of products coming out in that category. Well, it's marvelous talking to you. I, I'm, I'm amazed at where you're going and, and, and uh, I, I wish you lots of luck and you have, you have the luck already. And as I said, we'd love to have you back again on the show, um, you know, in a couple of months and give us an update of, of what's going on with Wana Prance. Thank you to. very much. for. Thank being you so here. much for having me. Yes, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I'd also like to thank our, our listeners who've purchased my latest suspense novel. It's called Just Try Me, and it's available on Amazon in paperback, uh, in, in paperback, I should say, or Kindle. And something really important that's, that's happening right now. Uh, I want you to stay safe. Wear a mask. Get vaccinated when your turn comes up because I know that if we work together, we can beat this virus. I'm Paxton Quigley. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.